Welcome, everyone, back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Week zero is in the books. Week one is coming up. And we got a big show. We got a lot to do, David. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm coming in completely unprepared. But I'm coming in completely unprepared. I am definitely coming in more prepared than you are. In fact, if you can tell by the relative lack of quality of the audio, I'm even recording this sucker. <laughs> you are. Um, I am in uh, Palm Springs with a couple day sort of mini vacation with my wife. And uh, we still wanted to do the show. We made a bunch of promises like doing some kind of survival pool that we're going to have to figure out like on the fly. We have to recap a game. We got a preview, like eleven more games. Like this is a uh, Dave. You really stepped up this week. I really did. I really did. Now, was it strategic of you to plan a vacation right when I was, you know, right at the beginning of the season? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Maybe you wanted me to do a little bit more work, but it's fine. We're here. We're together, and that's all that matters. Yeah, and if you guys want to email us uh, some questions, we got. I think we got a ton of them. I, I think we're gonna have. We have to limit our show to a couple hours today, so hopefully we'll get to all of them because we got a lot to get to. But Pac12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. If you'd rather call or text us a question, you can do that too. 424-532-0678 is the number. If you want to tweet at us, we've been tweeting more lately at Pac12podcast. And then our website is Pac12podcast.com. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or anywhere uh, you, you consume your podcasts. And leave us, if, if they have the, the option of leaving some sort of positive review, five-star rating, things like that. We would love that as well. Tell your friends, Pac-12 football season is starting. And it got off with a bang this week, this uh, last weekend, Dave. Yeah, it was truly incredible. Um, so I, I, and it really, it was really a gift to me personally, um, kicking that game off at 7.30 uh, Pacific time, 10.30 Eastern. Um, it was really nice staying up till, uh, I think it ended at 2.15 a.m. Wow. my time Saturday night. So I really got off, I got the season off to a good start. Yeah, I, and I tweeted from our account, like, what are the odds that David is still up right now? And he, he responded, so, or I said, oh, no, I said, poll, is David still up right now? And, and he responded to the tweet, so obviously he was. Uh, unless I just have an alert ready for you. You know, when you tweet me, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fully awake. I'm ready to go. Do you do alert? I don't do alerts, like, uh, do you no. do alerts? God, no. No. <laughs> Think like people about the on my amount of setup that would take for me. No, no, God, no. No, no. no, like some of my staff, they like they get alerted when I tweet something. I'm like, I feel bad for them. Like, you really want to know every time I tweet something? Like, that doesn't seem like it would be right. Yeah, no, I, no, nobody. And please never set an alert for anything I tweet because more than likely it's just going to be something very stupid. You would be, uh, you would, I would set alert for you. Like, there's, it, it's infrequent enough, and then they're funny enough that I would want to, you know, I don't want to miss it sometimes. That's you know? true. That's true. I, I'm not a, I'm not a prolific tweeter. I don't, I do not tweet a lot. But when I do, yeah. it's almost exclusively during the college football season. Yeah. Okay. So here's what we got to do. We have to recap uh, the Arizona debacle at Hawaii. We have to preview all our games. So Dave got that pick right, too. So he's 1-0 in his pick starts because he took... Uh, this will be the best period of my time in the picks. Right. But the other times when you beat me, it would be like you, the 11-game slate. So if you can beat me this week, that would be good. But one game is not that big of a deal. Uh, but you, were, you got that one right. We'll pick all the... I think there's 11 games coming up uh, in the Pac-12. So we'll do all those. Um, 
We're going to have to answer your questions. But we also have, and we have, we have to reveal our uh, power rankings. Um, so we'll do that. But also, um, we're, we we got to do the survival pool thing, right? So we said we're going to do it. Do, do you know where we are on this thing? Okay, what? No. Of course I don't. What are you talking about? <laughs> so we'll have to, um, we'll do, how about this? We'll do our picks. And then we're going to have to put everything up on Paxwellpodcast.com. Uh, like, there's people, there's probably an email in our box that's like, hey, I told you I was going to help you, and here's what we're going to do. So we'll figure that out. We're not going to be able to do it during the show. We'll do our picks. Look at Pac12Podcast.com. We're going to want you to make, we'll give you some information about making your picks there. So during the week, um, we'll figure this out. Let's be realistic. Um, look at it sometime Wednesday, because um, we're probably not going to do it today. We might get to it tomorrow, but more than likely, it'll be the afternoon on Wednesday when something finally goes up on there. So if you yeah. want to participate in Whatever little survivor pool we put together, uh, wait till Wednesday. Hopefully, yeah. we'll figure something out by then. But I like assigning myself a deadline. I work best on a deadline. So, Wednesday oh. afternoon, we will figure this thing out. Yeah, there, I, I bet you we have a, uh, what's it called? I bet you we have someone that emailed us, and here's how it's going to work and things like that. So, hopefully, that'll be all put together. But um, we need to reveal our power rankings. I don't have my... Um, I'll handle My, it. I'll handle it. Yeah, we don't have the uh, what's it called? The sound effects. Right. Uh, we also so these are these are mine. I just got uh, what the the twenty four seven sports ones were. Dave, do you want me to? Let's do those because I like to clown on them. Okay. All right. So I'll go in reverse order. Oh crap. We're not gonna. We're just gonna preview games. We're not gonna do the uh, recaps. We're just gonna reveal the first power rankings to start, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Number 12, who would you guess? Oregon State. Right? Oregon State, yes. Uh, that, 100, 142 points uh, for them. Um, so you want fewer points. So basically, I think they had, let me see, I think, I think they had all 12 people vote, um, or pretty close. So 142, that sounds like a lot. Well, they got a lot of uh, 12th place votes. Uh, number 11... And I'll give you a hint. This has <laughs> week zero had implications on this one. <laughs> this one is uh, sort of a uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Arizona. Yeah. Um, yeah, they did not look good in that opening uh, week zero game. Uh, they had 129 points, so a lot of a lot of votes for them. Colorado comes in at number ten. That's me uh, being a Buffalo. That's very good. Uh, 125 points. Okay. Um, California. Uh, that was a bad number error, nine. but that's what that was. Yeah, number nine. Uh, that's They have 100 points. Um, number eight, their kind of sister school, UCLA. That's a laser bear firing lasers. Oh, laser bear. We don't yeah. have that. Uh, yeah, isn't it more of a roar? Like, is that, don't, is yeah, that this the, one's more of a roar. Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of abrupt. Mm -hmm. uh, UCLA has 93 points. Uh, number seven, uh, the Sun Devils, ASU. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good one. 86, <laughs> 86 points for the Sun Devils. Here's where in the top half we have number six, Washington State. Meow. Yeah, so we th their Cougar needs to be a little more yeah. manly, but... Uh, 69 points for the Cougs. Uh, coming in at number five, we have USC. 
I'm a dumb asshole. Oh, sorry. Um, shoot. <laughs> uh, 63 points uh, for the Trojans um, coming off a of five and seven season. Number four, we have the Stanford Cardinal. <laughs> that's, a, that's the tree falling. I guess. That's, yeah, sort of. Yeah. 50, 57 points for uh, Stanford. I think there's going to be a pretty big jump here. Uh, number three, we have the Oregon Ducks. Quack, quack. Very good. Uh, 29 points, and they had three first-place votes. So that's kind of interesting. Um, number two, Washington Huskies. Wow. Ruff, ruff. Yeah, uh, 26 points. They also have three first-place votes. And number one... We got the Utah Utes. I don't know. Like an arrow flying through the air. It's like, thunk, a, like when it hits the, it like kind yeah, of whatever. vibrates when it hits that. Uh, 18 points, six first place votes. So um, half of the first place votes went to Utah uh, and 18 points. So they got, looks like six first place votes. Um, and then the rest were second and third place votes. So very interesting that Utah comes in uh, number one in the poll. Okay. Well, I think it's acceptable. I think, uh, so Ryan's rankings had Washington first, Utah second, but I think that's fair. Um, your only other difference was you had UCLA behind Cal, which I thought was completely fair. Um, but otherwise, it was pretty much the same as your rankings. So that's pretty good. Yeah, so I had eight and nine switched and one and two switched, I guess. So we'll, we'll try to use, um, as long as they come out in time, we'll try to use the 24-7 power rankings every year. I think that's what we did last year. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, hey, before we jump into everything else, I just want to tell you guys uh, about my bookie. The only thing more consistent in college football than the Alabama Clemson finals we're so used to is where I like to bet my money. You know, I don't just beat Dave in these picks. I play. <laughs> I play. I like to make some money. I do it with my bookie. It is the place to bet on football every weekend. If you want to make a bet on the national title game or maybe, you know, a great non-conference game like Auburn, Oregon, that's coming up, LSU, Texas. My bookie has you covered. This year, my bookie is also hosting the first ever online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win a hundred grand. It also costs a hundred bucks to enter. All I have to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. I'm only going to recommend this to listeners because I know it's proven. We've done, used it for years. My bookie is always the right place to play. You bet you win, and they pay. Uh, they also let you bet on. Which college coaches could get fired? USC fans might be interested in that one. <laughs> Listen up, USC fans. <laughs> Who will make college football playoffs, win the Heisman Trophy. So there's cool side bets you can make. Uh, and even on halftime, there's halftime lines, live odds, FBS versus FCS games. You can bet on all that stuff. So check it out. Uh, up to $1,000 of your first deposit uh, will be bonus to you if you use our promo code. It'll be double your first deposit. If you use the promo code pac 12 to activate the offer. So go to MyBookie uh, online today at MyBookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. Don't forget to use the promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, when you create your account and claim the bonus. Uh, MyBookie, bet, win, get paid. Great, excellent ad read. Go to MyBookie, everybody. Go check it out. Thanks uh, for their sponsorship this year. David, I guess... If got- I've gone to MyBookie before this game... Ryan, yes. I'd have made a little bit of money. 
if they would have started their sponsorship one week earlier, then you would have made some money, and I would have lost some. That's exactly right. If I if I'd bet on say, you know, over under turnovers in this game at eight, I might have made some money with yeah. the over. Who knows? Crazy. Uh, they, I mean, I know you picked them to cover. Mm-hmm. Did you? Do you expect this? No. Okay. So first, we're talking about. Arizona um, played on Saturday against Hawaii. Um, did they win the game, Ryan? No, they did not. They did not win the game. Uh, in fact, uh, they should have won by like they should have lost by quite a bit more. I thought watching the game. Um, so we didn't pick over unders in this one. I probably would have taken whatever the over was because, frankly, it's Hawaii and Arizona. There's not a whole lot of defense that's going to be played in that game. Um, but what, like the key stat that anyone's going to take away from this game besides, you know, the score was probably the fact that Hawaii turned the damn ball over six times and still won 45, 38. Yeah. There was all those stats where you'd see when you're watching the broadcast, like what team has, you know, forced this many turnovers and, and you know, gained over 500 yards and lost the game. You know, it's like, it's pretty rare. Like you don't see the kind of offense that Arizona was able to put together, you know, yards wise. And then the number of turnovers they were able to force um, and lose the game. But the problem is Hawaii only punted once, you know? So some of the turnovers were sort of like, just kind of like punts, I guess. I mean, there wasn't really that, as that big of a deal, but like when Hawaii didn't turn the ball over, they scored. Yeah, well, and that's the point that I think, you know, it's not lost on advanced stats people or even people who think kind of hard about it, but a punt is just a turnover. It's a drive in which you didn't end with points and you gave the ball back to the other team. So that's, you're, you're turning the ball over, whether it's happening, you know, via throwing it to another guy or by kicking it to him, it's still a turnover. You're still willingly relinquishing the ball with a down to go, um, with, you know, with a chance to still score. Um, so Arizona, yeah, they only turned the ball over traditionally two times with two interceptions, but they punted five times. Um, so five other of their drives ended without scoring. Now, Hawaii, they turned the ball over in a traditional way six times, but they only punted once. So if you look at it as times, I don't know what you would call it, times you conceded drives, either via a turnover or a punt, they were even, 7-7. Um, it's just happening in slightly different ways. Um, but... I mean, I, I thought what was really interesting was Hawaii, um, they were playing the math right because it wasn't like they were just driving at will. They had a couple of fourth downs that they were faced with. Um, but Nick Rolovich, I, you know, we talked about this in the offseason, in the long, long offseason. Uh, when a coach finally figures out that fourth down is just another down and starts doing the math right on that, it's going to be a game changer. And you saw it in micro in this game. The fact that they didn't concede those drives and instead just kept plugging away, I mean, it at least led to one score that you can directly verify. Um, but I, I think the, the ramifications of that all season, if he continues to do that and continues to get fourth down just mathematically nailed, uh, Hawaii can do some things this year. I mean, that offense moves, um, and it's, it's tough to defend. But anyway, I mean, I thought Arizona... Um, there were a few things that I thought were kind of obvious takeaways. I thought the offensive line was disappointing. Uh, I yeah. didn't think they got any push up front. You know, there was a lot of consternation about why Arizona didn't run the ball more, but they, they really weren't getting much push. I mean, they should have run the ball at will against that team. And 
you know, Khalil Tate broke out for some some yards, and J.J. Taylor had one nice big run. But for the most part, they were not getting the down-to-down push that I thought they should have, which was just kind of, you know, disconcerting because that was a Hawaii front that was relatively undersized. They should have been able to do what they wanted against them. Um, I thought it was a weird called game by Nolmazoni. They didn't come out even attempting to basically dictate their will on the run, which maybe was a confidence thing after a while. But they came out passing, um, which just looked not great. Khalil Tate's timing looked really off on any throws. Rick Nuazza called this up on the broadcast, and it was one of very few things he said that was correct. But um, (laughs) when he was thrown to his left, it just looked like he had no idea where that ball was going. Um, there was one where it would have been an easy walk-in touchdown, and he just threw the ball behind the guy. Um, uh, and it was one of those bread-and-butter, like, wide receiver screen routes that um, Nolmazoni just has built into that offense. It's just supposed to be the gimme, you know, 10 yards a pop, easy. And he just wasn't completing them at all. Um, but the story really wasn't the offense. Defensively, um, you know, I, I thought Arizona's players individually made plays. Um, they looked... You know, they didn't, it wasn't like there were a lot of player issues. I thought they had a systemic scheme and play calling and tactical failure. Uh, There was so much cover three and three man rush after it was provably getting shredded by that offense. It should not take halftime to adjust your defense when it's so obvious to anybody watching that you're not getting any push with your, with your front three. And you need to figure something else out. They finally did in the second half. They started doing some zero coverage, uh, but it was too little, too late. Um, and I, I just thought it was a it was a complete abomination from Marcel Yates. I thought it was a horribly called game, and he let down. Uh, I think a, a defense that is experienced now has some players, uh, but just they they can't make up for a scheme that's just allowing guys to just run free in the middle of the defense, twenty yards downfield. You know, it's one of those weird things. I'll talk, I'll talk about the offense in a second, but you talked about the defensive side. It was like you're playing a video game, and then you're like, oh, this is a formation. If I roll out there with no running backs, they're going to do this, and I can, I can just pass on them every yeah, time. Yeah, it's like you were, playing on, it was, you were playing on like pro level in NCAA uh, you know, 14. It's like, oh, okay, I can run the same play, and they're going to give me the exact same look every time. They just yeah. won't change. That's great. And that's what Arizona did. And I mean, people were tweeting about it like, Michael Lev was tweeting about it. Jason Shearer was tweeting about it. They're like, why? You know, they talked about using a more four-man front, but every time, especially when they went empty, when Hawaii went empty, they only rushed three, and uh, they never got pressure. And this is a Hawaii offensive line that gave up like 46 sacks last year, I think it was. Like, it was, I mean, this was not an offense that um, you know was able to protect the quarterback all that well. They rushed three. They let uh, you know Cole McDonald do uh, whatever he wanted, and he was just throwing it back there. I mean. Imagine this. You're talking about you have a quarterback, Dave, who goes 29 of 41 for 378 yards in a half. Uh, he has four touchdowns and gets benched. <laughs> Think about because that. He, Think about that. Because Arizona. he threw four picks. Right. Arizona, <laughs> you lost to a team, uh, uh, a Hawaii team, on the road in your opener. Uh, again, this is a group of five team that had to bench their quarterback mid game. That's crazy. <laughs> Um, but it was understandable too. I mean, watching McDonald play, you're like, look, I mean, this offense goes like, it's obvious. Like even last year when they, you know, we're getting sacked every other down, the offense still just moves. It's, you know, it's that run and shoot. It's gonna rack up tons of yards. Um, but the picks he was throwing were just egregious. That last one, 
like where was he even throwing that ball? But there were a couple other ones that were near picks that were like, I I don't know what the guy's doing. Um, yeah. You know, Rolovich honestly could have made that switch earlier. And then Cordero comes in and shows you exactly how the thing should run. You know, not not making any mistakes, just kind of dumping the ball off, dumping the ball off, dumping the ball off, doing the whole thing. And then he throws over the top for that one touchdown. But I was just, um, I was, I, I thought this was a game that was lost by Arizona's coaching more than anything else. Um, yeah. I thought, you know, offensively, whatever you want to say about it, I thought Nolmazoni came in with a weird game plan. Turned out they couldn't run the ball that well. Maybe they would have been able to if they tried to dictate from the beginning and came in with that mindset. I don't know. Um, but defensively, just, I, I thought it was a, a horribly, horribly coached and called game. Um, and then there were some other small little things. Um, the, the, the field goal. <laughs> when I got, this is crazy. <laughs> well, r- real quick, Cole McDonald was replaced in the third quarter. I'm sorry. I said halftime. He, he came out in the third quarter, yeah, but yeah, yeah. okay. It's 38, 35 Arizona's <laughs> down <laughs> They're in the red zone. And Tate throws a pick, he, and uh, the guy returns it for 50 yards, and they turn it in touchdown. So now they're down by 10 with, like, five minutes left. That sucks. Um, they get – so they're down. They're, they're driving again. It's fourth and 12, and it's, it's looking like the time they need to, like, kind of go for it. Uh, they need two scores, if I'm not mistaken. And they have three timeouts left, and they get a delay of game. So it was going to be a 38-yard field goal. Oh, no, this might have been when they were only down three. I think they were down three at this point, right? Yeah. Uh, I forget. Um, so it was going to be a 38-yard field goal. They don't use a timeout, and they get a delay of game. And this yep. is like, you're supposed to be moving, like, this is supposed to be going fast because the clock is running. So it wasn't like they didn't get the, the, the clock was running the entire time. So you got a delay of game um, while this was going on, and you wasted all this time on the clock. Becomes a 43-yard attempt. Then they get a false start, and it bump, bumps out to a 48-yard attempt. Then they get another start, and it becomes a 53-yard attempt. Then they call a timeout. So then they end up using a timeout when they really shouldn't have, uh, and then he hits it. So it, he hits the 53-yarder after all that kind of crazy stuff going on. Um, oh, no, so they, no, that was still a 10-point game, I think, and that cut it to seven. Yeah. yeah. So it was a 10-point game that cut it to seven, but they end up wasting a timeout there when they could have just used the timeout and hit the 38-yard field goal. But it becomes a 53-yarder, but he nails it anyway. So it was like the craziest Pac-12-y kind of thing you could ask for. And it was so cool. And then um, the the finish of the game was also really notable. Um, so Tate, it's the final play of the game. Um, they're setting up for basically a long pass into the end zone. And, and credit Arizona, they really moved the ball in that last drive. Like they were, they looked, they looked. I mean, the sharpest they looked was on that final drive, and obviously Hawaii yeah. was in a little bit of a prevent, but still, it looked, you know, oh, okay, that's the, that's the way this offense should move all the time. Yeah, I um, think he got to like the thirty-one or thirty-two yard line of Hawaii with like ten seconds left. It was, I mean, it was really fast. Like they got the ball, I think, to start with forty-five seconds to go, and then they were at the Hawaii thirty-one with within whatever forty seconds. So they've got the ball. Um, they're set up for a throw. I think they'd like, you know, to have two shots at it, basically. But as he's scrambling to his right, um, Tate sees he's got a real opening. Um, so he takes off, uh, races down uh, to near the goal line. And the defensive lineman who missed him on the uh, initial pass rush had continued on the play and makes the saving tackle at the one-yard line uh, to keep Tate out of the end zone. But I mean, it was, I mean, it was uh, as far as a first game of college football, and I'm not even going to acknowledge that Miami-Florida mess, as far as a 
first game of college football went. <laughs> this was so cool. Like, it was so much fun to watch. Um, back and forth. Really, really fun. Um, and, like, if you're looking for positive takeaways, Arizona fans, I think they're there. I, I don't think it was a completely lost effort. I think you know now definitively, if you didn't already, that Marcel Yates is probably not the answer for you, a defensive coordinator. Um, but first, there are playmakers in that defense. I mean, you don't get four interceptions by accident. Um, and I think there are lots of, clearly they've done their tip drill well, right? I mean, clearly these things have been happening. So I, I think there's, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think you've got a coordinator issue. I don't think you necessarily have a defensive player talent issue. I think the defense is going to be better than it looked in this game. Um, Khalil Tate looked more like the Tate of two years ago. I don't think he looked exactly like him, but he looked more like him. He looked, certainly looked a lot healthier. Um, he ran for 108 yards on 13 carries. Um, he wasn't perfectly accurate throwing the ball, but you would expect him to get sharper as the year goes on and he gets more, you know, reps and, you know, you're sometimes a little rusty to start the year, but I thought there was a lot to like with Tate's play. Um, a a lot to like with, again, the defensive play. Um, I just thought, you know, I think, I, I think making a, making a change at defensive coordinator sooner rather than later would not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that just did not uh, work out well. I, at the beginning, I was a little worried about Tate, but I think you feel better about him. I, you still feel good about J.J. Taylor. Uh, I mean, guys like Colin Schooler are out there balling. You know, Jace Whitaker was, he had a couple picks, I think, just himself. Um, some guys made plays, but man, just like, it seemed to me, like you said, like more of a systematic breakdown on the coaching side. Uh, you know, Hawaii, you know, I think they almost or did outrush Arizona, they had almost as many attempts as Arizona. And this is like three or four years in a row, the Pac-12 rushing leader. Like that, that's just, that shouldn't be happening against a run and shoot kind of team. Like you really need to dominate that, especially when you're going on the road. Uh, they came out and threw three straight passes, which didn't seem, you know, logical at the time. And if, if they could have established the run early, I think you could have changed the way that game, you end up playing Hawaii's game and not your game. And I think that hurt them. But I also saw something in the broadcast. They said at the time, the Mountain West had won four straight against the Pac-12. I guess this would be five now. Is that really a thing? Like, was that just something like Neuheiser or somebody said that wasn't true? Um, I guess that we need to look that up. But it seems like that's, that's a little concerning if that's true. Yeah. No, it's not great. It's not great. I saw that stat repeated elsewhere. So um, certainly. Oh, you did. So yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, certainly not good. Um, but how about, I mean, my man Rick. My man Rick just bringing it. And he was, you know, I thought there was a little bit of pathos there. I thought he was really laying some truthisms out there. He was saying, you know, that's why I'm in the booth. I'm too conservative. You know, that's, this is retro, this is great stuff. You know, really introspective. Um, he was, uh, what was he saying? I've been booed or fired at almost every school in the Pac-12. That was great yeah. stuff. Love that. Love that, Rick. Just really, you know, truth telling. It's great is he stuff. is he warming up to you at this point? Because he's still one of my no, favorites. I, I, but honestly, I, know. I would. I, I, it was fun. It was a nice novelty. But I could. I would. I would. I would pay money not to hear another New Heisel called game. Wow. That's I thought so... he was. He's fine. Um, he's a fine. So I thought it was a bad color tandem because Aaron Taylor's not great either. Um, so it was two guys who are both saying kind of just wrong stuff. New Heisel's easy to listen to because he. He, you know, drops in some aphorisms and stuff that are like kind of pleasing to the ear, but he, it just doesn't seem like he knows exactly what he's talking about all the time. Um, like, 
he was trying to do the uh, Tony Romo thing where he predicts the play, and he was getting it wrong almost every time. And it was just, you know, maybe just maybe just dial that one back after you get it wrong a couple of times. Um, yeah. But Aaron Taylor was also saying a lot of, you know, dopey stuff. So I just thought it was a bad tandem. Maybe when he's paired with, a, I think, a single, you know, partner rather than having three people in a booth probably would have been a better move there. Um, I also learned that the uh, CBS Sports Network is the home of Army football. So Woo-hoo! they cover the Army. What are they? The Knights? What are they? Uh, Black Knights. Black Knights. Yeah. So uh, you know, like it's funny when you watch a station you don't normally watch, like when you watch True TV in March for March Madness or whatever, um, you learn these things like, oh, there's a show called this. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. Um, I didn't know Army was a thing. That's true. Uh, as far as no, I mean, knew Army was a thing. I didn't know they had their own network. I didn't know that you knew Army was a thing. Huh. Yeah. Who knew? Ah. All right. All right. Should we preview some football games? Let's do that. Uh, are we going to go chronological? Yes. Yes. All right. Um, so, Pac-12 roundup. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Okay, cool. Um, sweet. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's opening week, real opening week now, not that week zero stuff. Uh, so that means there are Pac-12 games on each of the weekend nights, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So lots of good Pac-12 action kicking off. The action on Thursday at 4 p.m. on ESPN, UCLA traveling to Cincinnati. UCLA plus three at the moment, but I think that line's been moving a certain way. It might be UCLA plus two and a half now. Oh, uh, okay. Well, we'll just stick with three where you wrote it down. Or do you want me to do two and a half? No, no, no. Let's do the three. Okay. Um, going on the road. Yep. Last year... UCLA probably destroyed Cincinnati at home, right? Well, about that. Um, <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, UCLA's game against Cincinnati was a part of a little thing I like to call 0-5. Um, it was actually, Ooh. interestingly, the first of the five uh, for UCLA under Chip Kelly. Um, and the first moment where I was like, hmm, maybe UCLA did get 49ers Chip Kelly um this was and a lot of what we saw in this game didn't actually prove out to be true UCLA's offense looked horrible in that game Wilton Spate got hurt Dorian Thompson Robinson was thrust into action way before he was ready uh looked rough it was not good no running back was like had really solidified the starting job leading rusher was Casimir Allen which never happened again Um, so there was a lot that was just kind of still being worked out in that game. A bunch of guys were out in suspension. Um, so it was a different UCLA team, even five games later than the one that faced Cincinnati last year. Um, but this projects still as a tough out, uh, Cincinnati, uh, basically the big thing they lose from last year is they're starting most of their starting defensive line. Uh, it's their two big defensive tackles and one of their best defensive ends, all graduated, um, and this was a very defensive line-driven oriented defense. Um, that was where most of their tackles for loss came from, most of their run stuffs, most of their sacks. It came from that uh, defensive line up front. Um, so they have some things to figure out defensively up front, but they returned most of the back seven. Um, their offense returns much of its production from last year, so should still be a good team. Uh, but their 11-2 and two last year was a little bit of a mirage. Um, they played, I think, their best win. I was looking it up via the S&P Plus. Their best win was Ohio, 
which ranked, I think, 54th in the S&P Plus last year. Um, so not exactly playing world beaters, but still obviously better than UCLA last year. Um, yeah. UCLA, on the other hand, um, you know, they ended the year much better than they, than they started it. Um, there's a few injury notes going into this one. Joshua Kelly sat out much of fall camp with a knee injury. He's back to full go in practice, so he should be good for the game, but maybe he'll be, a, I don't know, a little bit limited. Uh, Theo Howard has a wrist injury. He had a cast on throughout most of fall camp. He's going to play more than likely, but he might not see the typical usage that he does. Um, Alec Anderson, who was projected to be the starting left tackle, also had a knee injury during fall camp. He'll be available, but Sean Ryan, the true freshman, will more than likely start at left tackle. Um, inside linebackers taking some hits, uh, but still have more bodies than they did last year. But otherwise, pretty healthy team. Um, so long story short, um, I think UCLA has made enough improvements defensively, especially up front, that they should be able to Stiflewood should be a pretty average Cincinnati offense, and then defensive, and then offensively, I think they'll be able to do enough against this defense to pull out the win. I'll say UCLA twenty-seven, Cincinnati twenty-four. Uh, so you okay? So you, you're going to take the Bruins to win outright? Oh yeah, yeah. I'll take with the three points. I'll take UCLA as well. I think it's going to be an improved team. Um, you know, Cincinnati won a lot of games last year. My Pac-12 pick didn't go so well week one. I'm going to – I think I think the Pac-12 is going to get a win here. So I, UCLA being a road dog, I think they're just a better team. Uh, I'm going to pick them to win. So Thursday night, Bruins are going to beat the Bearcats. Very, very exciting news. Ryan Abraham picking the Bruins. All right. Yeah. Next up at 7 p.m. So you got a packed night. And so this is an option game because the next two are both more or less concurrent. This is not the one that anyone besides Arizona State fans will pick. Uh, yeah. At 7 p.m. on the Pac-12 network, uh, Kent State is traveling to ASU. Uh, Arizona State, 24-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, it'll be an exciting game. This is going to be Jaden Daniels' debut as a college quarterback, so even though I'm probably more interested in the game at 7.15, I will be watching at least this one with, you know, half an eye open uh, to see how the true freshman does. Um, as far as, you know, debut opponents, this is a pretty good one to face off against. Kent State is expected to be among the worst teams in uh, in college football this year. Uh, Bill Connolly has them projected for 111th uh, wow. in his S&P Plus. Uh, last year, they were 124th, so improving. Um, Arizona State, on the other hand, uh, projected to be a little bit better than last year, um, even with the offensive changeover. If Daniels can come in and really play as well as his hype indicates, um, this defense should be better this year. I mean, we just talked about it, but this defense should be better this year. Um, the offense could be about as good. Um, and if that's the case, this should be a, a significantly improved uh, ASU team. 24 and a half points is a lot in the opener, especially when the offenses are generally... Um, a little bit behind, a little bit rusty compared to defenses. I don't love huge spreads and openers. Um, boy, I think I'll take Kent State and the 24 and a half just because I think it's more like three touchdowns. And I don't know if, you know, how efficient Jaden Daniels is going to be. I mean, the defense could always create a bunch of turnovers and scores out of that. But I'll take Kent State in the points just because it feels like a lot for an opener. All right. Not so fast, my friend. Uh, I'm going to, I'm sticking with my Pac-12s. I'm going to go ASU. Uh, Kent State, like you said, 
pretty horrible team. I feel like this is going to be one of those things where they want to get the freshman quarterback out there doing some things. They'll probably be able to score when they want. Um, I think Inito Benjamin, who's gained 10 pounds of muscle in the offseason, is going to have a huge game. I, I just feel like they're going to want to put up a whole bunch of points. So I'm going to take ASU to cover in this one. I respect it. All right, um, the one the game that all of you will probably be watching, not only because it's actually on a network you get, but because it's probably a better game. Uh, on ESPN at 7.15 p.m., Utah traveling to BYU. Utah is a five-point favorite in this game in the Holy War. Um, I think Utah's won a bunch of straight games in this series. I'm not going to look it up. It doesn't matter. Utah fans know what they've won, and it, that's all that matters. Um, so Utah... Um, you know, this 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 is generally a pretty hard-fought, kind of a mean game between these two teams. Um, I think Utah's, yeah, I think BYU is going to be better this year. Um, they made some real improvements last year um, from the previous year. Um, the big thing this year is that their defense takes a small step back with... Uh, with most of their linebacker production from last year moving moving on, um, but if if they can find replacements in their depth chart, um, this offense should be you know with that very famous quarterback you keep citing, um, who we will remember the name of at some point, um, and uh, and you know most of their offensive line returning. I think that the offense should be a little bit better, um, but I still take Utah minus five and a half. I think they win this by probably a touchdown. Uh, okay, was oh, it five and a half? Five and a half. Oh, did I have okay. it as five? You had it as five. I'm looking uh, at so just go with the five because I don't want I want it to be apples to apples and minus five is what it was this morning. So okay, so it's moving around a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean I think BYU is going to be a much better team. They have a really daunting. We've talked about this. Their um, September schedule is terrible with Utah, USC, Washington, and on the road at Tennessee. Uh, if you watch Zach Wilson last year. He was a stud. Uh, he's as athletic as any quarterback they've had since like Taysom Hill or whatever. I mean, he's um, he's a stud. He was uh, perfect in their bowl game. Uh, threw for three touchdowns, like three hundred seventy something yards. Didn't miss it. I think it was eighteen of eighteen. They were better at the end of the year, like similar as we talk about UCLA. Uh, but for Utah to be the Pac-12 favorite, you have to take care of business against. BYU. They got to beat them by at least a touchdown. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take Utah, uh, lay in the, uh, the five points. Um, if we're, if they're as good as everyone thinks they are, even though BYU is better, Utah has got to be able to take care of this game and, and should do it fairly easily. Absolutely. All right. So Thursday, that's a, that's a nice slate of games. UCLA, Cincinnati yeah. should be a close one. Kent state and Arizona state. Hey, tune in for a little while. Watch Jaden Daniels, see what he looks like. That'll be some fun. And then Utah-BYU, that's another good game. Should be, you know, either it's close and it's fun to watch or you see what the Pac-12 favorite actually looks like. Um, all right, Friday. Uh, not as great a slate of games, but still football, okay? So that's all that matters. Um, at 7 p.m. on ESPN, Colorado State against Colorado. Uh, the Buffs are 13-point favorites. Savor that, Colorado. Savor being a favorite. It's not <laughs> going to happen much this year. Uh, the reason it's happening is that Colorado State is very bad. Um, they are projected to be 109th in uh, S&P Plus, only a little bit better than Kent State. Um, they do not return a ton. Uh, KJ Carter-Samuels, the transfer quarterback, was their quarterback last year. He's moved on. 
Uh, they're replacing their starting running back, their top two receivers, much of their offensive line, a bunch of their defense, and it was not a good team last year. They 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 should be a relative walk in the park for Colorado, and that's not going to happen often this year. Um, so thirteen point favorites. Um, mm, it's basically based on how bad Colorado State is, but I think I will take the Buffs. I think they win this by a couple of touchdowns at least. Yeah, uh, Colorado State's bad. This is going to be played at mile high again. They do that uh, fairly often, I believe. Um, I just feel like it's a lot of points, but what does Colorado have coming back that you know? Um, you know about Steven Montez. You know about LaVisca Chenault. I think that they're going to take care of business and they might run into some rough spots against more athletic teams later on. But in this one, I just kind of get the feeling, Dave, that they're going to, the offense is just going to click and they'll put up a bunch of points and Colorado state's just not going to, they're going to be overwhelmed. So I think 13 a lot, um, neutral side game, but I think the buffs, uh, can handle it. Yep. Absolutely. So we'll agree on that one. Cool. We are in agreement. All right. Um, the other game on, and this is, I think, going to be worth t- tuning into because things get weird in Corvallis. Um, Oklahoma State traveling to Oregon State. Uh, this is at 7.30 on FS1. Uh, Oregon State plus 15. So you got Oklahoma State 15-point favorites. Uh, big note out of Oregon State, Jake Luton uh, won the starting quarterback position. Um, entering his, I think, ninth year, 10th year, <laughs> something like that. Um, something like that. yeah, so uh, that's, that's good news for the old man. I'm sure he'll be excited to suit him up one last time, lace up, um, before retirement. Um, so this is an interesting line for me. Um, I, I think it's the odds makers taking the Corvallis effect into account almost, um, because Oregon State's not expected to be good this year, and Oklahoma State's expected to be like a top twenty-five team um, by the end of the by the end of everything. Um, Oregon State does have an offense, and Oklahoma State has been uh, known for not exactly being a defensive stalwart over the years. So maybe they're taking into account the possible shootout potential of this one. Yeah. Um, still, fifteen points feels like too few given that. Oregon, ah, man, I could talk my way either way this way. Either way this way. That doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> Oregon State also, I mean, they're returning experience at quarterback. Got be- one of the best, honestly, one of the best running back tandems in the league in Jamar Jefferson and Rotavis Pierce. And they've got one of the best receivers in the league in Isaiah Hodgins. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to take Oklahoma State. I'm going to take Oklahoma State minus 15, but I don't feel great about it. Um, this is tough, Dave, because I've done this before with the Beavers and a pretty big number. We get like sucked that. in by the Beavs. We love the Beavs. Uh, last year, the Ohio State game freaking killed me. Um, they should have covered that easy and just kept screwing up, letting the fourth stringers for Ohio State do that. Now, this is at home, and it's not as big of a spread, but it's more than two touchdowns. And Oregon State does have an offense. Like, the offense exists. This isn't this isn't Cal we're talking about. They do offense. And what how how big is Jake Luton? He's like six foot twelve or something. He's huge, right? Um, you gotta think that they're gonna be able to score points. You love Jamar Jefferson. You talked about the tan. Ah, give me give me the beeves and the fifteen. 
and I'll just be just crying uh, next week when they lose by 17 or something like that. So I'm pretty much guaranteeing uh, Oklahoma State's going to cover by picking them, but I just I want to believe, Dave. I want to believe that the Beavs can do it. I know. I know. Me too. Me too. But I don't think I believe. No, I don't. Even after making a pick. Yeah, I don't know that I, I believe. But it could happen. I, 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 could, I really could go either way on it. Um, I just think it's this line should be higher, and I think they're already taking into account a lot. So, yeah, tough one for me. Yeah. All right, so that's Friday. Um, not as strong as Thursday, but still pretty strong. Still games worth watching because they are football games. Uh, and then Saturday, so it's a lighter slate on Saturday, if only because so many games are happening earlier. Uh, but the day kicks off at 12 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, Eastern Washington, traveling to Washington. There's no line on this game, so we're not going to count it in our records. Correct, Ryan? Right. I think we no spread. We just won't count the pick. Right. Um, Jacob Eason uh, starting at quarterback for Washington. And uh, I think Jake Hayner immediately announced that he would be moving on, um, which, you know, that's kind of the way of things these days. Um, but Eason, no, to no one's surprise, uh, will get the starting nod for Washington. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing to get excited about. It's not like it's Washington State playing Eastern Washington. Um, the Huskies should beat them by five touchdowns. Yeah, it'll be name the score and move on. So it's the early game. It's Pac-12 network. It's just here's what uh, they look like right now. And, you know, here's Jacob Eason. Here's here's how he's going to look this year. He'll play a half and then they'll play some of the other guys and that's going to be it. So it, this is a snoozer. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next up at 1 p.m. So you can watch yeah, watch an hour of that game, just see how Jacob Eason looks in Washington uniform, and then tune on over to Fox at 1 p.m. to watch Northwestern traveling to Stanford. Um, so this one will be interesting because we have a differing opinion on the Cardinal this year. Uh, you think there's a chance they'll be good. I have a very limited view of their chances to be good. Um and I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see in game one against a credible opponent, you know, as weird as Northwestern has been over the years, at the very least, you can say they're a well-coached, you know, halfway decent team. And uh, that could be challenging for Stanford this year, if my guesses are correct, that they are uh, in the middle of some, you know, maybe significant rebuilding. Um, they returned three offensive starters from last year, um, and Northwestern's defense is definitely the strength of that team, and they should be even better this year. Uh, they return tons of their production from last year, most of their starting secondary, most of their linebacker core, most of their best defensive linemen. Um, so it should be a, a, a pretty good uh, Northwestern team as far as such things go. Um, so a bit of a challenge for Stanford. Um, I've got to stick with my preseason assessment. So Stanford is favored by six and a half in this one. I'm going to take Northwestern. I'll take, I'll take those six and a half points. I think it's like a three point game. Wow. All right. Um, Dave's going with the enemy. Okay. For me, yes, I think Northwestern's defense is coming back. They're the division winners from last year in the crappy division of the big 10. Um, Stanford's got to go on the road to USC and UCF after this. I kind of feel like this is going to be a game where they know they need to be tuned up and ready to go. Maybe a little different than other openers because they do have those two road games coming up afterwards. Um, I love, you know, everyone loves KJ Costello. He might be the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Uh, 
him and Kobe Parkinson like light it up a little bit. And I think Stanford is going to win this one by a touchdown. So squeak out the spread. I'm going to take the card. Oh, I think they're going to be pretty good this year. You actually preseason thought that they would beat Northwestern, but you think it's going to be more of a I think they'll field goal game. I think it'll be a field, yeah. field goal type, type win. Gotcha. All right. So I will take Stanford in this one, and you're going to take the points and Northwestern. That's correct. All right. Uh, next up, we have at 3.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 network, uh, UC Davis traveling to California. Again, no line on this one. The FCS games don't get a line if they ever do until later in the week. Um Chase Garbers, named the starting quarterback at Cal. He beat out um, some guy and Devon Modster. Um, and some guy is now competing with Modster for the backup spot. I don't. I, I wish I knew that guy's name. I looked at the depth chart just a few seconds ago. But I have the memory of a goldfish. Um, all right, <laughs> so Cal, with Garbers um, as the starter, um, they were slightly better. Oh, and Brandon McElwain, I think he's done with football. I think that was announced this past week. Um so, uh, as the starter, Garbers was better than McElwain, uh, which is to say uh, he didn't turn the ball over every time he touched it, um, but it still wasn't great. Um, so, I think we got to stick with the same thing as always, which is Cal, try not to offense, um, but defense should be more than enough to win this one. I think they will win by, I don't know, three touchdowns. Yeah, um, that's a lot for this offense. <laughs> um don't you think? That's a, I mean, you're expecting a lot of this offensive score. No, 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 no. That's all, that's all defensive scores. Oh, oh defense gotcha. Defense special okay. teams, baby. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Chase Garbers, I wanted to see him more last year. Um, it wasn't like he was amazing, but he just turned the ball over less. And they just they used three quarterbacks for a while. Um, I know you don't like them to try to offense, but I would at least put your best players out there uh, in an attempt to make things going. I think... Bo Baldwin's a guy that's just known for putting up a lot of points. It's got to be very frustrating for him to be on a team where people are asking him not to score points because they, when they try to do that, they just mess other things up. Um, yeah, it's UC Davis. Who cares? I'm curious to see what they look like. Does it look a little more efficient than what we saw last year? All, you know, all that kind of stuff. Their secondary is going to be awesome. They'll probably get like two pick sixes or something in this game. Um, so, yeah, you know. Are you really going to watch this one? Probably not. But, you know, go out and see what Chase Garbers looks like. You don't need to watch the defense. The defense is going to be great. Um, watch the offense and see if they do try to offense or not. Yeah, this is the one game where I really I, – I don't think I would advise watching unless you are a diehard Cal fan because there's other stuff to watch. Like, you've got Northwestern at Stanford that will be going right up until the next kick of uh, the game we're going to talk about in a second. So if there was, like, one game you weren't going to watch a minute of – this entire weekend, this would be the one where I would just completely avoid it. Um, I think you can watch 30 minutes of Colorado. That's fine. You can watch that full Oregon State game. That might be interesting. Um, you know, watch an hour of Arizona State, then tune over to Utah. I think that's completely justifiable and normal. This one, I wouldn't. I, just don't turn it on. We'll do that yeah. for you. We'll tell you how it is. That's all you need yeah. to know. All right. Uh, the headliner on Saturday. Um on ABC at 4.30 p.m., Oregon versus Auburn, neutral site game. Oregon, three-and-a-half-point dogs in this one. I don't know what to make of this football game. Um, Auburn was sneaky good last year. Sneaky only because they play in the SEC, so they, I think they like probably lost like nine games. But they were, by the metrics at least, a top-ten team, which is, you know, they were eight and five, three and five in the SEC, but... 
uh, because the strength schedule is so insane in that league, because the teams are so good, uh, they were uh, a little bit marginal from a record standpoint. Um, but they were top. They were seventh in Bill Connolly's S and P plus. This year they're projected eighth. So once again, projected to be a top ten advanced stats team. May or may not win seven games this year. Uh, that is the state of the SEC. So. If you look at the particulars of that team, they're replacing a starting quarterback, so that's something. Uh, Bo Nix, highly regarded true freshman, won the job, so he will start, but it is a true freshman starting his first college game, so there could be some kinks to iron out. But he'll be able to hand the ball off to the top three running backs from last year who all return. Um, It's a very run-oriented offense at any rate, and uh, all three of those guys are good. Um, Receiving core, some new guys, some new faces, um, but still a lot of the but a lot of the backup production from last year is back. And the entire starting offensive line, the entire top six offensive linemen, all returned from last year. So it's a good situation for a true freshman to walk in and get his first start. And then defensively, you know, they return their top two defensive linemen. They've got to replace a bunch of their linebackers, but they return uh, basically their entire secondary from last year. So a lot of reason to expect Auburn's going to be pretty good this year. Um, Oregon obviously returns a bunch of starters as well, but a bunch of starters from a team that wasn't as good as Auburn was last year. Um, so even with some uptick there, uh, Oregon, you know, probably not quite as good as Auburn this year. At least that's how it looks at this preseason angle. So four and a half points in a semi-neutral, but most likely Auburn heavy environment or three and a half points. Sorry. Um, I'm going to take Auburn, uh, minus the three and a half. Wow. Well, both teams, you mentioned Auburn's offensive line, bringing people back. Oregon, same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a true freshman quarterback on one side, and you got Justin Herbert, who might be the number one pick in the draft, on the other. And I think this is an Oregon team that has a lot to prove. It's the most hyped team in the Pac-12. Uh, is the hype real? We saw Washington not be able to take care of business in a game like this last year. That didn't help the conference when they end up being, you know, winning, uh, you know, the Pac-12 championship. Oregon, one of the favorites to win the Pac-12 championship. Some people have them as think they're the best team in the conference. This is a game they have to go out and take care of business, Dave. They just simply have to do it. Getting three and a half points. I'm going to take Oregon here. Uh, you know. They could lose by a field goal, maybe, but I, I, I think they can go on the road, not t- you know technically on the road, but they're going down to AT&T Stadium uh, and win this game. And here's the thing: you might not know this, but there's this. I found this, Dave. There's this thing called the AP poll. They must be really smart people. They put Oregon at number 11. I think Auburn they had like number 16. So Oregon should be better, according to these people. And the fact that they're getting three and a half points. That's a no-brainer to me. So it's, it's one of those new metrics out there. You can look it up called the AP poll. Um, <laughs> I assume it's right. So I'm going to go with that. All right. Very cool. We <laughs> love citing that new metric called the AP poll. <laughs> All right. Now we're into the evening on Saturday. I'll be dead by this time after three straight days of this. But whatever. I'll be going strong. Because when you have a chance to watch New Mexico State play football, you tune in. At 7 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, uh, New Mexico State is traveling to Washington State. Washington State, 31.5-point favorites uh, in a somewhat surprise, I guess. Maybe we weren't following that closely, but Anthony Gordon was named the starting quarterback for Washington State. Um, Thought Gabrud had a pretty good chance there, but Anthony Gordon named the starter. 
at quarterback. Um, so that one, I'm sure he will do the Mike Leach thing and probably throw five touchdowns and 400 yards in this game. Um, New Mexico State. So they were, uh, let me pull it up. They were bad last year. Very bad. Very, very, very bad. Very, 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 very bad. Um, How bad? This bad. They won three games, but they should have won two. Um, <laughs> they were 123rd in the S&P Plus. Uh, they had a 116th ranked offense, 113th ranked defense, and 108th ranked special teams. That is a trifecta you do not want. Um, they beat Liberty, they beat UTEP, and they beat Alcorn State. Um, they lost everybody else. So, New Mexico State, very, very bad. Uh, Washington State, not bad. Um, 31 and a half points, though, is a ton of points. But I just cannot, in good conscience, take New Mexico State in a football game. So, right or wrong, I'm taking Washington State to cover those 31 and a half. Yeah. Uh, so you, you think Doug Martin's not going to be able to keep it close is what you're saying. That's, the, that is exactly what I'm indicating to you. The head coach of Mexico State. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is one of those things where they're just going to come out and play well. Now, we've seen them lose games like this. So doesn't that scare you a little bit? Yes. No. Not at all. But those were like Eastern Washington. The Eastern Washington team they lost to was far better than this, North, this New yeah. Mexico State team. Those were very competent FCS schools. This is an incompetent FBS school, right? Is New Mexico State FBS? I think they are, right? They're FBS, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, did I? Did they no, move no, no, down? you're good. You're good. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take Washington State as well. Sort of feels like a 35-point win for some reason. Uh, but that's a lot of points, you know? Um is there a thing where Leach calls off the dogs? Is he playing around? No, it's not Mike Leach. Yeah. Uh, it worries me, but I'm going to take Washington State in this one. All right. And the easiest there... pick of the night. You ready? Or did you have something else you wanted to say about Washington State? No, no. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. And the easiest pick of the night, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. Fresno State traveling to USC. USC is favored by 13.5 points. Give me Fresno State. Why, you ask? Because they are well-coached. Because they went from like 1-11 to 10-2 and two the next year under Jeff Tedford, and then they were super elite last year. Good damn team. Uh, yeah, they lose a lot. Who cares? They're going to be great this year. Their defense should be probably, I don't know, maybe a little bit worse. Maybe. Their offense should take a nosedive. Who cares? You know what? They're going to play USC close. I think it'll be a close game. We'll see USC's offense. That'll be fun to watch and the whole new thing. But I think Fresno State... We'll have some answers for it, and uh, I'm expecting a very well-coached team to uh, put some put some scares into USC this game. All right. I'm conflicted here. Mm-hmm. I have two things working for me. Sure. One worked really well for the last couple years. Picking if against rem- me. No. Picking – well, that does work. Picking against USC. Like, USC does not cover the spread very well. I think they covered it like three times last year. So, so if you just always would pick USC's opponent – Against the spread, you'd be making money. So that's what I did last year. It worked very well. But this first weekend, I kind of made up my mind. I wanted to pick all Pac-12 teams. So I started with Arizona. I mean, that's Washington State, 31 and a half points. Like, I don't want to do that. But I was wanted to try to pick all the Pac-12 teams. 
um, Oregon State, like all those things. So games that I just didn't feel all that comfortable doing, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going Pac-12 for the entire first week or week zero and week one. So I think I'm going to take USC, and so I'll have a full – The I'm just kiss pick, of death from yeah, Ryan so Abraham. you should feel very good. Uh, just to cover the spread, they'll probably score a bunch of points. But I want to have – I want to show my record after week one being this is what the Pac-12's record was against the spread. So I'm going all Pac-12, complete clean slate for me. And uh, this goes against my number one rule while picking in this podcast is don't take USC. Uh, you know, always pick their opponent. And that's worked very, very well uh, for me. But this one, I will pick USC and probably live to regret it. Wow. Wow, impressive stuff. Impressive stuff. A lot of uh, courage there, Ryan. Yeah, so that's yeah. all of our games, right? We got them all. That's it. That's everything. I'll pick uh, That is week quick. one in the books. Yeah, power, so remember, power rankings at the official 247 ones. Utah, Washington, Oregon, Stanford, USC, Washington State, ASU, UCLA, Cal, Colorado, Arizona, and Oregon State. Okay. Very Sweet. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's. Why don't we take a quick break, Dave, and uh, we'll come right back and we'll uh, answer some questions from the fans. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, everybody. Back here on the podcast of Champions. Dave, how do you feel about your picks? Uh, feeling less and less good now that we've uh, had some time to think about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel horrible, as I always do. Um, so I think that's a really good way to walk into the season. We get to answer some questions now, Ryan. Oh, God. There's, there's a, so we asked last week to like self-edit. Did that, they, they, probably... I feel like they self-edited the content of each individual email, but they multiplied the emails twofold. Gotcha. Um, we got a simple voice box thing, which is interesting because we haven't had a simple voice box number in many moons now. Um, so we're not going to listen to that. Um, what do we got? Where, do we where, got? Where, where are we starting? Are we starting with Bernie? Is that is that the first one? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's before uh, that, right? Yeah, it is. God. Is it Oh, yeah. Allard? Wow, geez. Come on, people. Is it Justin is ferocious? It's Keeley. Keeley asked a question. Oh, where is that? Last Tuesday. Okay. Podcast question. Hey guys, I'm currently sitting next to Ryan at a barbecue restaurant and thought I'd send in the question I just asked him. If the entire Pac-12 entered a 7-on-7 tournament, which school would win? Looking forward to your answers. We actually talked about this sitting down uh, after we recorded a podcast, and I thought that'd be interesting. And so... What did this eliminate to me? Like, probably the Utahs of the world wouldn't uh, you're be... You're missing the obvious one that it would eliminate, which is Cal. Well, no. Uh, Oregon, because Oregon's, like, strength is, like, the offensive line. Like, that doesn't, those don't, that doesn't matter. Now, Cal, yes, offense sucks, but just their defense alone, what they have... 
they have six guys in the secondary that could start anywhere. Like, couldn't you do? Couldn't that be like a huge yeah, part defense, of the seven? On seven? Defense never wins in seven on seven because you have no pass rush. Okay. You've just got a quarterback sitting back there. The problem is Cal has you know nobody at quarterback, so they can't even complete a throw. So no matter how bad the defense or good the defense is that they're facing, they're not going to be able to do anything. All right. Um, well, I was going to give give Cal a fighting chance just because of the secondary, but I would I would eliminate Oregon. You know who'd be sneaky good? Oregon State. They they wouldn't be as bad, you know. You take away line play from them. I mean, they 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 would have a chance in a seven on seven. Um, yeah. I think Arizona's strengths would not play well with a seven on seven. Um, no, like Khalil Tate's not going to be taken off and running or anything. So right, um, you know, I'd probably rule out a true freshman, Jaden Daniels, coming in and really shredding. You you got to look for strong yeah. quarterback play. I mean, you're looking at KJ Costello. That's a really good fit for seven on yeah. seven. I saw him tear up seven on seven throughout his prep career, so that's fine. He, um, Stanford would be pretty good. Justin uh, Herbert probably be great. Um, I don't know about Jacob but, but the Eason. problem is the problem is that Oregon's strength is the offensive line, right? So. They don't really have a lot of good receivers right now. I, I wouldn't put Oregon up there. No, that's probably true. Um, and Washington probably for the same reasons. No super elite receivers. Um, Washington State, just because, you know, they got like eight receivers who can get open. Yeah, Washington um, State's going to be good at that. Uh, I think USC would be good at that. They got the best receivers in the conference. And well, they're so basically they, playing seven on seven these days anyway, right? With yeah, so like that, that's kind of like what they do. So it's sort of like, yes. Uh, I don't uh, know how DTR would do. I never watched him in seven on seven. Um uh, Colorado, uh, Montez is good. I mean, you got Vizca Montez and Chenault. Like yeah, that, that, that would be a tandem. You know, some of those seven on seven tournaments back in the day, it was just two guys just dominating the entire time. So that could yeah. happen. Yeah. Okay. So those would be the better ones. Who, who would you be? Who would you pick? Got to go. I think I got to go Stanford there. You give Stanford? me KJ Costello and Colby Parkinson, uh, just you know, trucking their way down the field. I think that's that's doing the job. I think you'd have Stanford coming out of the north and. I'd probably pick SC coming out of the South. A lot of receiver talent. The, a lot of receiver yeah. talent. So I don't know. I'm, USC has got better receivers than Stanford right now. I might give them the edge. but it's, yeah, uh, Do they have anyone as singularly dominant as Colby Parkinson? You know, somebody in a seven-on-seven seven setting who's like six-seven, who can just catch anything over anybody. Right, yeah. They don't, they don't have a guy that tall. They got a couple. I mean, they got some dudes, but Parkinson could just kill you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, Keely, for that one. That was great. Uh, let's see. This is, uh, from Loki Ute. Super important questions. Okay. So he's edit these out and, uh, made that they're super important. So howdy Ryan and Dave from Utah. I really enjoy the podcast and will strive to keep this preamble short as per your request and get right to the point. As I know that the only thing that upsets David more than unnecessary preamble are basketball questions and midget rodeo clowns. What's the midget rodeo clown thing? I don't even remember. I'll just skip it. Okay. Uh, one, Utah really doesn't have a great football tradition. Our crazy lady dance at the beginning of the fourth quarter hopefully dies with her. What football tradition could you come up with that would be a good fit? Uh, we are one of the few programs that allow flags into the stadium and have joked around with a pirate theme of hoist the colors and let those flags fly while the cannon goes off. Um well, I would I wouldn't do the pirate thing because that's like a Washington State Mike Leach thing. Yeah, I would not do the pirate thing. Um, what's a good Utah themed thing? Could just you, do a bunch of br- calf raises? <laughs> everyone comes in in snowshoes. I don't know. Um, 
yeah, you wave your snowshoes up in the air. That could, you know, click them just together. Everyone in the stands, like, just be like, um, I don't know, like Whittingham's whatever's and, uh, and just do a bunch of like workouts throughout the, throughout <laughs> the game. Like just, you know, somebody's out there just doing squats in the aisles. Like just do stuff like that. There, there you go. Yeah. Uh, maybe, Hey, we could do what soccer is kind of popular now that we don't like it, but other people do. They could do those, uh, scarves that the soccer teams do, right? That's, you need scarves in Utah. Maybe that's a good fit. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. Two, with Jaden Daniels now solidified as the starter, is Antonio Pierce going to dump his mom and try to seduce another recruit's mother as a recruiting strategy? How does this impact ASU's recruiting strategy? No idea what he's talking about. None whatsoever. I have yeah. not heard about this, so... yeah. I don't Sorry, know. Loki Ute. I eagerly await your response and love listening to the podcast. Thank you, Loki Ute. I've not heard any of that. Okay. Uh, UCLA's and the eighth. This is from James. Hey, guys. Great pod. And who else would be better than explaining to me the purpose of UCLA offering on the eighth of the month? What the F is this all about? Great question, James. I think it's dumber than shit. Um, I think it is so stupid. Um, So it was presented as they will build this hype around the eighth of the month um as their big offer date when they're going to offer all their prospects and you know start building up hype they've got this idea that they want to make the offers exclusive feeling and this makes it feel more exclusive which i get i just think it's very stupid um because (laughs) to any individual it just doesn't like it doesn't this isn't going to matter to the kids what they want is an offer like they just want to you know feel loved and especially in this day and age it's not going to be about like the branding exercise of branding a day as eight clap eighth or whatever. Um, so, and they haven't really been abiding by it. Um, they've been offering guys outside of the eighth. It's just most of them get offered on the eighth, but it's just so weird. Like if you like a guy on the ninth, you have to wait till the next month to offer him. It's just, it's all very stupid and strange. Um, and I don't know why they're doing it, why they're trying to reinvent the wheel with recruiting uh, when they should, you know, just call guys call guys and get them on campus and uh, have good visits that's that's really the uh the bread and butter of recruiting not um you know a branding exercise for 12 days of the year uh all right so you're saying chip kelly shouldn't just recruit there's like cal shouldn't offense chip kelly shouldn't recruit is that what you're he shouldn't just no 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 chip kelly should recruit just recruit normal stuff like do the normal way of recruiting like okay you know the way that ucla's had a ton of success with, with over the years you know, that kind you got to mix, mix it up sometimes. Sure, why um, not? <laughs> all right. This is from uh, our pal Bernie. So for me, he says, I just finished listening to a radio interview where the guest was Scott Wolf, and they were discussing JT Daniels being named the starting quarterback. Uh, Wolf has asked his opinion on whether there really was an open competition. To illustrate his take on it, he told the story of what happened last year after the Arizona State game. He said three of the captains went to Helton to ask him if he would let Jack Sears remain the starter for the next game. According to Scott, Helton told them his hands were tied and Daniels would return as a starter. He said that to secure Daniels' commitment, Helton promised Daniels' father that JT would be the starter if he came to USC. Is this story true? Um, Okay, so you're listening to a radio interview with someone that doesn't cover the team any longer and hasn't for over a year. So uh, I'm going to say it's not true. Um, yeah, so we, Scott Wolf used to work for the, uh, daily news. Uh, I think he still does a blog, but he's not, I've not seen him around for a long time. So he's not around the program anymore. So I wouldn't, uh, 
I wouldn't put a lot of stock into that. And then for Dave, were you impressed by the basketball commitment of uh, Tashania Nix? Is that his name? Thanks, Bernie. Oh, no, no, that's not close to his name. His name is Deshen Nix. Oh, um, well, he wrote it down wrong, I guess, then. Uh, yeah, I mean, five-star point guard, I think it's a great get for Mick Cronin. Um, I uh, saw him in person in Atlanta, and he's got a little bit of that Lonzo ball feel to him. Not as good an athlete, but had that impressive feel and passing ability. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's huge that they got him. And then also, um, you know, for Mick Cronin and his first uh, go-round as the UCLA coach to pull out a, a five-star point guard, that's huge. So, yeah, very, uh, very good and uh, very cautiously optimistic for the future with the UCLA basketball program. Nice. All right. Well, thanks, Bernie, for those. Oh, right. Uh, Christopher did not see the uh, brief message. Uh, Kevin Sumlin, Sparky, and Cupcake Games. Christopher out of Mesa, Arizona. So this is a little bit longer. Uh, Ryan and Dave, I'm a longtime listener, and you two did a great job on the off-season content and finding some advertisements. JC Penney's was an interesting sponsorship choice. Reminds me of when Ricky Bobby sold his windshield for ad space. A few episodes back, you made up classes that the various coaches would teach, but couldn't think of one for Kevin Sumlin. I was thinking of Suck 101, Art of the Fail, how to blow a 19-point lead in a rivalry game at home late in the fourth quarter. What do you all think? Uh, I think there's probably an update to that course now after this past weekend. Uh, Arizona State's mascot used to be an owl, then a bulldog. In 1946, the students voted to be the Sun Devils. The Sun Devil is another name for a dust devil, whirling dervish, dancing devil, or any other names for the small vortexes that manifest. Is it vortices? You know this, right, math guy? I think it's vortices, yeah. yeah. That manifest themselves all over Arizona, typically in the summer. Two years after ASU voted to be the Sun Devils, alumnus and Disney illustrator Burke Anthony designed the Sparky mascot and used Walt Disney's face for it. Oh, that's funny. Our mascot is that, a pitchfork-wielding cartoon Walt Disney with devil makeup instead of some sort of tornado-like mascot because Burke Anthony hated his boss. To be clear, a Sun Devil is a weak vortex of hot air, and the mascot Sparky is an evil caricature of Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Sparky loses to most Pac-12 mascots in a death battle unless he can summon tornadoes. I don't know, man. Nothing more pa- powerful than evil Walt Disney. Like, think about yeah. how many billions that guy would be worth right now. No, Dude, I don't know. Evil Walt like, Disney you, whips. Yeah, this email convinced me more that the Sun Devil would yeah, win. Yeah, no, because... Sun Devil's schooling everybody. Uh, <laughs> I know that's not his, that wasn't his intention, but now I know for sure. You have the power of the mouse behind you. You're going to win. Yep. And then he says, P.S. You two should stop using the cupcake games to pad your stats for the predictions win-loss totals. If the game doesn't have a Vegas spread, then don't count it as a win-loss for your season competition. Better yet, only use conference and bowl games for the year. Ask the listeners if dropping the crappy non-conference games from your picks would be an improvement or not. I think that this is fair, but will greatly diminish the performance of Dave, who has yet to win. (laughs) Thank you, Christopher. I appreciate you. But we are, yeah, we're not going to, any... Any games, we, we tried to make up spreads last year and count those, but this year we're not counting them at all. So no, we're not doing a pick if there's no spread. Um, but we're still going to pick all the games. Um, it would be pretty boring not to do, you know, for the first three weeks we wouldn't have anything to pick with a non-conference game. So as long as they have a spread, so two this week didn't have spreads, we won't pick those. Uh, we got Pac-12 trades next, David. This could be interesting. Hi, guys. With training camp near its close and the beginning of the season upon us, most of us have a general sense about our team's strengths and weaknesses. If, hypothetically, teams were able to trade players and coaches like what happens in the NBA and MLB, what are some potential trades that you might pursue for Pac-12 teams? This seems very off-season. As an example, Utah's window of opportunity is open now, and they are very short of high-quality defensive linemen, 
they are. I don't think that's the case. Uh, would it be? They have the best defensive line, and maybe the Pac-12. Uh, wouldn't it be a good idea for them to trade a few? Oh, I'm sorry. They're never short of. Uh, my bad. Sorry about that. I was not reading that correctly. Uh, wouldn't it be a good idea for them to trade a few of their defensive linemen for help on the offensive side of the ball? With Oregon State in full rebuild mode and unable to play defense, it seems like they would trade Isaiah Hodgins for some young defensive depth. If Utah were feeling frisky, maybe Colorado would be willing to part with LaVisca Chenault for their lineman, given he's uh, definitely headed to the NFL after this year. Hmm. Uh, Washington has two great defensive coordinators, so maybe they could pull off a monster trade with USC for a couple of their unused five-stars. Given Chip Kelly's track record of the NFL, he would probably take uh, trade Darnay Holmes for a graduate assistant from Arizona who has any idea what Mike Leach would trade for. Keep up the good work. Uh, well, he said just keep up the work, but I put the good in there. Oliver. Okay. All right. This is very off-season-y, but is there some trade that stands out to you? Arizona, I think, what would they trade away? That's the thing. Like, are they using Khalil Tate enough? Like, who would... I would, yeah. The thing is, you could probably get a lot of value for Khalil Tate from, yeah. like, um, who would want to run that kind of offense? Maybe, like, uh, maybe Cristobal? No, but they've got Herbert. It'd have to be somebody without a quarterback. So, Cal? Would Cal be willing to change their entire offense to run with Khalil Tate? I think so. Maybe. So, um, you trade to Cal and... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's a perfect trade. You trade Khalil Tate, and you get, um, uh, what's their coordinator's name? Defensive coordinator? Oh, uh, Tim DeRuiter. Tim DeRuiter. There you go. Oh, that could be an interesting, that'd be blockbustery. That'd be a blockbuster trade. That would improve two teams right there. I think that would, would improve two teams. If you want to do traditional stuff, like Arizona does have uh, a lot of depth at running back. They could trade one of their running, like a backup running back um, to Cal for one of their stud secondary players, like, there's some interesting things that could happen like that. Like he said, with you know Utah's got a lot of defensive linemen. Um, I mean, a couple of years back when Stevie Tuikolavatu was uh, he graduate transferred from Utah to USC, he wasn't even starting at Utah, and he was like a stud for USC. Started all the games, you know. So yeah, trades like that I think could help you uh, if teams have a lot. You know, Oregon might trade one of their offensive linemen away uh, for a wide receiver or something. You know. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some interesting things that could happen there. I picture a lot of trades with Cal because they need quarterbacks. So, like, basically any team in the league that has a decent quarterback, like ASU, for example. So they have Jaden Daniels starting, which means they have Joey Yellen and not to mention Dylan Sterling Cole in their depth chart. Trade one of those guys to Cal, probably either one of them probably starts for Cal this year, um, yeah. and get some defensive help. Like, that seems obvious. Yeah, you could do that too. Like Jack Sears. From USC, yeah. didn't get the job. He could be traded to Cal for like one of their cornerbacks. They could use and come and start right away. So yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, we that's that, that's a little too off season for right now. Yeah. All right. Um, we have a voicemail from Chris from Corvallis. Ooh. I don't know how to so put this on, so I'm just going to read it. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is the real Chris from Corvallis. I have some bad news. I'm attending the graduate program at USC. I'm originally a Penn State grad, so the bottom line is the University of Michigan and UCLA still suck. Peace out. Can USC win the Pac-12 this year? Thanks, guys. Bye. Uh, thanks, Chris. And you could, uh, I mean, you could download it and play it if you wanted, Dave. Since yeah, but we then I'd have to put it on the thing. And no, I'm not doing that. 
okay. I'm not doing it. Chris didn't know that you weren't doing the audio today, but I knew, <laughs> and I'm not doing that. Uh, thanks, Chris. Yeah, USC's still really talented. They could win the Pac-12. Like, I don't think that's um, – I mean, they're, they're number five in the power poll. Um, they have a really tough schedule, but if they win a bunch of those games, they can. I, I don't think it's likely, but it's not like it's out of the question that they it's, – it's not impossible for them to win it. Sure. Do you agree with that, Dave? I agree. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, this one is from who is this one from? It is I don't it doesn't say. Uh, Pac-12 podcast game. Uh, Ryan, I don't know what you do uh, on the dollar sign UC website you run, but at Bro, we don't just write season previews. We write philosophy that happens to preview the football season. So I want to see if you can match the poet philosopher to the quote he said below. Uh, remember, one of these was written in a football season preview, and two were said by UCLA grads, uh, using grad in a very loose sense of the word. Okay, so the poet philosophers are David Woods, um, Bill Walton, mm-hmm. and Jacques Derrida, is that right? I think it's Derrida, but yeah, it's I've never heard it pronounced, but I've read it a lot. Jacques Derrida, okay. And then there's three quotes, so I have to try to match these up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't know if there's an answer key anywhere. So do you know them? Or? I know the answers, yes. Okay, good. Okay, so they let you know. Okay, so uh, quote one, tonight's start was electric. Just both teams riding quasars all the way to the top of the mountain to the promised land. Um, okay. And then two, monsters cannot be announced. One cannot say, here are our monsters, without immediately turning the monsters into pets. Okay. Interesting. And now, quote three, uh, or so, you, or so you like to think in those moments when you convince yourself true Zen is possible, and that your life is cleanly and neatly divided into past, present, and future, and not adrift in the roaring maelstrom of the eternal now. Did I do that right? Okay. I think so. So my guess would be quote one is Bill Walton. Sure. Was that right? Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Quote two, I would say, is David Woods. You are incorrect. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> so you said quote three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went, um, yeah, it was a little bit, uh, you know, sometimes you get a little highfalutin with your season previews. So I got no. a little highfalutin with my season preview. I didn't know who this Jacques guy was, so I just assumed he was like... He's a the, postmodernist, the... yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's some poet that... Uh... Oh, he's a philosopher, or yes, is he a poet? he's a philosopher. Or both. Philo- okay. I mean, all those guys kind of dabble, but he's a philosopher. Okay. Yeah. So he said, monsters cannot be unannounced. They or, cannot not... be announced. One cannot say, okay. here are monsters without immediately turning the monsters into pets. Yeah, I just that just seemed like you. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Well, thanks. He didn't put his name on that, but whoever sent that, thank you. Entertainment strategy guy. Oh, nice. All right. Um, I apologize. This is from Philip in San Luis Obispo, and he's getting off to a bad start. Uh, never apologize to us. Um, I've been meaning to email you since the last time I did. It's been a while, but when Dave read my email, I sounded like a dick, and that was not my intention. <laughs> I emailed you about Andy Ludwig getting $2.5 2. for three years and not every year, so I apologize for the tone of my last email. Who am I kidding? Ryan can't even remember where he's been, let alone what some stranger emailed him five or six weeks ago. So, Dave, I apologize. I love your show. You guys do great work. Keep it up. Never apologize to us. 
First, it was very stupid for us to think that he was getting paid $2.5 million a year for three years because this is the Pac-12. And second, I went back and looked at your email. It's fine. Don't worry about it. No. There are people who send us really insulting things. You're like, no, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You're fine. Philip, you're fine. And David doesn't remember shit either. It's not just me. So I've got a weird memory, though. Like yours, you just don't remember a goddamn thing. I remember like the occasional like one thing in like this just sea of just gray blank space. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. I mean, I, I, I two favorites just from this off season. It's hard to beat not remembering I went to the Utah game, and you know, oh yeah, yeah, I went to that last year, and not remembering I was at the Rose Bowl to see Washington and Ohio State. So that's incredible. Awesome. You're an incredible marvel. It's pretty amazing. Uh, this one, okay. Oh, this is Pac-12. Oh, sorry. This is off. So here's a. We have a Pac-12 suicide pool email. We will read afterwards. So um, we'll. Uh, we. I met, I told you we were going to get some um, information on that. So we'll go back and read that one. Here's one from Frank in Sacramento. Uh, Ryan and Dave, I hesitate to invoke the evil sport of soccer. But the yellow card and red card warning system would be a better way to handle the dead ball fouls uh, when there is a when there is taunting, unsportsmanlike conduct, and unnecessary roughness. Pull a yellow card for the first offense and a red card ejection for the second one. The play is over and the yards are gained or lost. Don't take the yards away. Kick the player out. Frank in Sacramento. Mm. Well, what do you think? I mean. I, when I played volleyball, we had the yellow card, red card thing. And it was it was always kind of fun if you had like a hothead guy on your team that would get a lot of yellow cards and you kind of were rooting for him to get the red card so he'd get kicked out and you could tease him for a while. Um, uh, that's all right. I mean, I think it'd be fun to incorporate some of the, the better penalty stuff. Like what is it? Exclusions for water polo or the penalty box for hockey. Like things like that would be kind of neat. Like if you could only if you could take a guy and put him in a penalty box in football for a while or something. Um, but they, they kind of do that anyway. If you get two unsportsmanlike conducts, it's like getting a red card. You're, you're out of the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. They could do it. It'd be tough. I mean, soccer, you can actually play with 10 guys. I don't, uh, football. I don't know. Like, like, are you also like ejecting them and then nobody can play that position? Oh yeah. As it is in soccer. Yeah. Because that would be tough. That would be tough. Um, I mean, you could do it if it's simply as an ejection and then they have to come back in. I just, you know, it's it's fine. I think until they actually, fi- I mean, the, the current system would work if they just had referees with like some actual judgment and good, you know, quality ability. But I think they could abuse this system just as well as they currently abuse the current one. Yeah. And we, we actually did get an email from uh, the Pac-12 conference. I'll just give you a quick... So they, uh, they have now a new, new communication protocols for officiating, just FYI. Uh, and there's new replay officiating procedures they're putting into place. Um, real quick, if uh, basically they want to increase the transparency. So they'll make a public comment uh, within like 48 hours of the game, uh, beginning, beginning this football season, if something happens like there's a game-changing call or a no call that would impact the result of the game. So they're going to come out and say something about it. If there's a call involving a significant error in officiating mechanics, a call, an error in rules interpretation, or basically any other extraordinary uh, circumstance. So 
they're going to try to be more uh, open with communication uh, this season. So that, that'll be kind of interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. I forgot I was going to talk about that before, but since we mentioned officials, I thought we'd bring it up right there. Uh, we have a text message from an Arizona fan. Ooh, nice. I think this was mid-game. Uh, Arizona is, right now, a plus five in turnover margin and a minus three in points against Hawaii. Someone please remind me again why I like this stupid game and especially this stupid conference. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, but keep in mind what I said about turnovers up front. They punted a whole hell of a lot more. Keep yeah. that in mind. Just keep it in mind. I know. I know it doesn't. It's not great. It doesn't feel great right now. But the turnover margin was not as insane as it looks on first glance. Yeah, and I think when you look at the Pac-12 as a whole, it's not a good start. Uh, certainly you got to question yourself why we like this silly league. Um, this weekend, we're going to know a lot more, you know, and if there's, you know, if Oregon loses and Oregon State gets destroyed at home and I mean, it's a closer game on the Palouse than it should be. Like it's going to not feel very good, uh, for PAC 12 fans. So I, I think we need some sort of burst this weekend. And you get get to feel good about it. That Oregon game is huge. Um, could set things up. You know, Florida already got a big win over Miami. And it was an ugly game. I don't know what you're going to take away from it. But in the end of the day, the SEC got over on the ACC, you know. So um, at the end of the day, the Pac-12 couldn't beat the Mountain West. So it's, uh, it, yeah, we this it was silly. Arizona just came out and laid an egg. And it didn't look good for the conference. It doesn't look good for Kevin Sumlin. Certainly doesn't good, look good for Yates, but uh, we, we're going to hold out hope for this weekend, especially since I picked all the Pac-12 teams. Absolutely. Ugh, yuck. Uh, recruiting five stars to the air raid. This is from Mike in Oakland. Hi, Ryan and Dave. I get the sense you want questions about Pac-12 football. <laughs> so here you go. Several weeks ago, you had a question about why Mike Leach has not recruited more highly regarded receivers, i.e. players with more stars, in Mike Leach's version of the air raid, he, one, likes to have eight good receivers so he can regularly rotate into the game. Two, values the short possession, i.e. dink and dunk, passing game over the long ball. Three, has some receivers run certain routes uh, just to clear an area in order to get someone else open. The result is an individual player will really rarely end up with more than 800 yards over the season, and they may not get all the attention a featured receiver may see in another offense. I think that makes it hard to attract some five-star players. Uh, I think that's, you know, somewhat true, somewhat. But I think the more important thing that you got to keep in mind with attracting five-star players is no five-star player wants to play in Pullman or Lubbock. Yeah, that's tough. Um, he's he likes the sort of being. He's like oh, it's like he's under a rock up there, and he kind of likes it. But that's not necessarily where a lot of the five-star guys want to go. Yeah, I mean, but there's it, been dudes. Yeah. Like Deontay Burnett was committed to Washington State and USC switched him at the last minute. Um, was like a three-star guy at Sarah High School that I liked a lot every time I saw him. And I think he would have been great. I mean, he's in the NFL now. or He, he made it to the NFL. I don't know if he's still on a team. But um, yeah, I think he would have really shined there. And I, I think you put a stud receiver in that. You get a Michael Crabtree, you see some amazing things, you know. Um, so hopefully he can you know, keep it. He's going to bring in guys that are productive. But if you get a one or two like complete studs at receiver, they can be game changers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, his questions are, what are your thoughts on my theory? I think we just shared that. And two, Graham Harrell played and coached under Mike Leach. 
but runs a different air raid scheme. Do you think this will be a challenge uh, for the running? I'm sorry. We'll, do you think this will be a challenge for running the air raid at SC with the dollar sign? Go Cougs. Uh, Mike in Oakland. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they've talked about running the ball more, but what we've seen, they've been throwing. It looked like they say this is not Mike Leach's air raid, but what I've seen in practice is more like Mike Leach's air raid. Like their scrimmage, they ran it six, I mean, they passed it 66 times and ran it like 17. Uh, now, they had four quarterbacks out there, and I know they wanted to see because the quarterback competition was still going on. Um, they've said they're going to be running more. And, and last year at, at North Texas, I think they, it was almost 50-50. It was like 53-47 pass run ratio. But um, I, my gut is, Mike, that they're going to actually get closer to Leach's air raid where they throw it more. Now, they're going to probably take more deep shots and stuff because they got receivers that can go do it. Um, but that, that's one thing I'm going to watch for how much, what is that pass run to pass ratio? Uh, I, I still think it's going to be a little higher than what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, that sounds right. And I, I don't think it's going to really affect the recruiting if, if that's kind of what he's asking in the long term. even though I don't think there's really going to be a long term because Clay Allen's going to be fired this year. And with him goes that entire recruiting staff and coaching staff. So. Yeah, I would. If you're thinking like Graham Harris is going to be there a long time, I think a lot of things would have to happen the right way for that to be the case. Yeah. Um, and but like Dave said, there's no one's on a hotter seat than, than Clay Helton. So just him staying another year is just, you know, is not, uh, doesn't seem as likely. Yep. All right, some quick questions. This is from Scott. Thanks, guys, and go Cougs. He says at the bottom, but up top, he says some great football to start the season. Does Oregon State finish with a better record than Arizona? I say no. Yeah, I'm going to still say no. I don't want to overreact to game one. Weird stuff happens in game one sometimes, especially, um, you know, a a team that's clearly still ironing out some kinks. It's an early game. They've got a full week off now. Hopefully we can get some stuff figured out for uh, their second game. But, um, no, I think Arizona still has has some life this year. It's just that was a bad first game. Um, Who gets fired first, Clay Helton, Marcel Yates, or Dave's boy, Noel Mazzoni? Ooh, okay. I might go with Yates here. Yeah, I'm going he, Yates there. Yeah, he's Yates, Yates gets the kibosh after three games, I think. Yeah, he's in his fourth year there. So Mazzoni's, you know, he just came along with some, like he's the second year. Uh, Yates was a holdover, and it's one of those things where it's going to be easier to let him go because you kept him from the last staff, and if you don't feel he's performing, that's an easier fire. So... I think it'd be Yates. All right. And then he says, Ryan, Khalil Tate can be a game-changing athlete in the right offense, and he originally wanted to go to USC. Do you think if he'd gone to USC, he'd have a better career, and USC might have done better post-Darnold? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think they wouldn't have used him Not a fit, well. yeah. Not a fit in yeah. that offense. I don't think it would fit. They would have to change what they were doing. Uh, I don't think he would have had the kind of run he did. With, like, him and Richrod were like a perfect pair, so... Two years ago, I, I don't think he'd, you'd ever see that that kind of run that he had when he was at USC. They wouldn't allow him to do that, you know. Um, so yeah, I think he's in the right spot. It, although this whole, you thought it would be good with someone coming in there, but and but I don't know. It just hasn't. Something doesn't seem right. They don't seem to all be on the same page. And I know you know Tate got banged up and stuff, but it just hasn't seemed like it was. It's that good match that was two years ago. Yeah, but I think it would be worse at SC. Yep. All right. Uh, Hitler Day. Newspeak. 
Oh, which book was that from? Nineteen eighty four. That is nineteen eighty four. Look at you, Mister Literary. I I remember that book. Well, there was someone was talking about it recently. Um, but anyway, but yeah, I remember. Oh, there's Newspeak. Uh, thanks, Hitlerday, for using non. Um, what, what was he using before? What last week was French, Latin, whatever he would use. Okay. I've given due consideration to your plea for brevity and lighter demands on your boys' memory. Fortunately, last week's segment, segment rank, ranking every Pac-12 coach as a recruit, nine minutes and 20 seconds, listing each his age, alma mater, former position, and roundness of features, uh, gave me ample time to do so. As such, uh, one, ASU DBs, good or double plus good? Hmm. Um, I will go with good for now, but I really like Ashari Crosswell. I really like Chase Lucas. Um, and, you know, if they can replace Jalen Harvey and Demonte King with some adequate replacements, then possibly uh, double plus good. Yeah, I think there's good with upside. I like that. Um, that's the whole, there's like three or four sophomores on that defense, right, that are like, Pretty darn good. You know, those guys that end up playing a bunch last year. And Crosswell's yeah, one Crosswell's of them. Yeah, Crosswell's one of them. But that entire linebacker core is sophomores, Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler, and Tyler Johnson. So yeah. they have the potential. If those guys really step up in year two, um, even with losing what they lost on the defensive line, um, there's potential for this defense to be really good, not just you okay. know, better than last year. All right. He's taking brevity to a new level here. Mazzoni into the memory hole. Oh. That could mean so many things. Like the memory yes. hole is just, you know, where you forget things. And I would, you know, I would like to forget Noel Mazzoni in a lot of ways. The thing the thing with Mazzoni is he has good moments. Uh, what I was saying to Chris Cartman on Twitter after that awful game uh, on Saturday, and, I, you know, they generated, what, 530 yards of offense, something like that? And I'd still yeah. say it wasn't a very well-called game by Mazzoni. I mean, that offense... Whatever you want to say about him as a play caller and designer and all that kind of stuff, the offense moves, and when they get tempoing, they're you know tough to stop. But he just has like four games a year where you're just like, did you even look at this defense before you started game planning? Did you even look at your own team before you started game planning? Or were you just like, you know what, this feels good. I'm going to do this. Um, I just, I think he has a really good offensive design for the most part and i don't think he likes to do the week-to-week work on game planning and all that stuff that's my read on him over the years yeah um yeah whatever that means thanks hit the day uh let's see last one belly feel on colorado's terrence lang so he's i think he's gonna be uh was he a sophomore last year he's gonna do defensive end super tall dude he's like six seven yeah, he was uh, he was a pounds. freshman last year. Um, okay, so he's soft. Yeah, yeah. I I don't uh, have any feel for Terrence Lang. So he was mostly, if I remember correctly, like a third down kind of dude uh, last year. Um, I think he's going to be. I haven't looked at the depth chart, but the plan was I think he was going to be at every down kind of back um, in this defense. So yeah, I, I think I think they were talk. I I thought I talked to. Adam Munster talking about him a little bit, but there was someone that they really kind of had high expectations for. Um, but, yeah, basically, yeah, if it, he takes the leap um, as a new starter, then that'll mean great things for this defense because they'll have somebody to play opposite of Mustafa Johnson. Um, it's just a question of whether he'll be able to do it. 
right? Yeah, he th- I think he started one game last year or something. So it was, it was really more of a specialist thing, but you saw the upside. I mean, he's he's got great length and uh well, yeah. it's, a, it's I, a necessity with how much they're losing on the defensive line. I mean, they need him to step up and be good immediately. Um, yeah. because there's just not much returning. And he's a he's a physical he's a freaky guy. So yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. thanks for the day. Yeah, that was good. More of that. This is from our man Thomas. Strange luck. Hi, guys. With so many games to preview this week, I just wanted to tell you I think we have found the equivalent to Bill Walton for Pac-12 college football. His name, Andrew Luck. Ooh. (laughs) What other Pac-12 football star is currently unemployed yet has the intellect and world weariness of Walton, not to mention a completely idiosyncratic way of speaking to other people? Now that Brock Huard has flipped to Fox, if I'm ESPN, I'm already on the phone with his agent. What do you guys think? Happy new season, Thomas. Love it. I think that'd be a ton of fun. I think Andrew Luck will be very good at the announcing game if he wants to be at some point. Yeah, what did I mean? I feel bad that the the uh, Captain Andrew Luck Twitter handle—they're not going to really able to do much anymore. But if you ever follow, it's pretty funny, um, where he just writes in, you know, like it's uh, like it's Ken Burns Civil War, yeah, yeah, <laughs> 17th or something, and uh, or eight in the 1800s and keeping your powder dry and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, we got one more. One more. Uh, trap games. Oh, uh, real quick, what did you think of Luck uh, retiring like that? Or did, were I you... think it's great. I think I think more people should retire early from football. It's a very stupid sport to play. Um, and if you've made millions of dollars, why not stop? Once you've made millions of dollars, stop getting your head bashed in. That's my yeah. motto in life. Um, so I think it's great. I mean, I, look, Andrew Luck, I'm going to... So there's that whole thing, and I know most of you out there know this story, or at least have heard it a few times, but at Stanford, he used to like to start the game off by keeping on his own read so he could get hit. Like, this isn't a soft (laughs) guy. He's not soft. What happened to him is that his body got destroyed over the last, whatever, seven years that he's been in the NFL. I mean, the, the list of things that I was reading had happened to him, I'm like, why? Why would you do that? No, I mean, especially playing quarterback. Like, you've gotten beat up like that playing quarterback? No, get out of that game. And, you know, his brain's still intact. He hasn't had many concussions. So why chance doing that now that your body's breaking down a little bit? No, leave. And he never needed football in the first place. I mean, he comes from, like, relative wealth. So now he's pocketed whatever, tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, get the hell out of it. Whatever, man. You've got a Stanford degree. Go do whatever you want to do. Yeah, I, I hated that the fans booed him and stuff. That sucked. Um, that whole thing sucked. But, I mean, that's proof enough that, like, whatever reasons, whatever rationale he had for playing in the first place, it was all meaningless nonsense anyway. You play the game because you like the game. Um, and when you cease to like the game, which is probably when you start feeling like you want to die every morning when you wake up, yeah, get the hell out of it. Why not? Yeah. And Doug Gottlieb, that moron, tweeting what he <laughs> tweeted, and all these, all these people, like, Look, I've never played football, which is why I'm very big on, yeah, man, that looks hard. Don't do that. That's <laughs> really hard, man. Um, so I don't yeah. blame you. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. No, but like Doug Gottlieb played like a bunch of college basketball and stole a bunch of credit cards and thinks he knows what it's like to get a lacerated kidney playing a game. Whatever, man. No, I fully support Andrew Luck uh, getting the hell out of it. And Gottlieb was funny. He's part – and everyone – I you feel bad. Everyone, he, everyone that replied to that, half of the people talked about his – credit card why do you feel bad no why do you feel bad um well i mean you know it's a mistake the guy made when he was a mistake a a mistake is like i don't know i turned the wrong way not like stealing credit cards like that's so 
Oh, there, there, was certain things, oh. there are certain things that are character issues at a young age, and there are certain things that are mistakes. Like, say you drink and drive when you're 18, right? You could call that a mistake. Assuming you know nobody gets hurt. Well, even if somebody gets hurt, it's a very bad mistake, right? Stealing somebody is a conscious choice you're making. Like, fully conscious of, I am taking this from somebody else, and this is my intention. Yeah. And you're deciding to do that. Now, that's that's... Look, not to say somebody's character can't change over time, but that is something that's more serious to me than like various mistake offenses that we blow way out of proportion. True. Um, so I, I mean, I've heard him like discuss it, and I was like, yeah, I get it, you know. And like Ryan Leaf was a complete douche, you know, and he's completely turned his life around. And someone like that, I hate it when people bring up, oh, he was a jerk. I'm like, yeah, you know, he was a jerk. He admits he's a jerk. He's changed his life, and I'm not gonna like. Well, what have you seen from Doug Gottlieb besides apologizing for it that he has actually become, say, more of a, you know, a better person? Fair. No, I think that's a very fair point. Like, I think Leaf has Leaf has done some real things, some real redemption stuff. And wasn't Leaf's, I mean, uh, maybe I'm mixing up my guys, but didn't he have a whole bunch of substance abuse issues as well that contributed? I mean, there are some people who are coming into life with baggage and lots of other stuff going on. And there's some people who just have, you know, generally bad character. And I would probably put a Doug Gottlieb in the second category. I mean, yeah. just, it's, you know. Gottlieb's tweet was was heinous. and But he does this frequently. Like, it's yeah. just, he's, he's carved out, he's trying to carve out a niche as like a shock jock, I think, now that his television career is, you know, more or less, I think, toast. Um, but he's not very good at it. And so he says things that are a little bit too far to one side, like a little bit too crazy. And then it comes out like this. And I don't know what he truly believes, but he sounds like a moron. And it's just, you know, it's a stupid thing to say. And then the funny thing, so he works for Fox. And then you have Troy Aikman, who's a longtime Fox person, just come out and dunked on him so hard. And they work for Fox. And he even called him out like, you're working for FS1 or something. So it was, it was great. Like, that was one of the craziest tweets uh, I've seen, that exchanges. It was like two people that work at the same company. Well, that's, and that's, I think if you're doing that whole like shock jock thing, that's the thing you want to avoid. Like you want to be provocative and have an interesting take, but you don't want, like right now, it's not that he's drawn a bunch of attention to himself, like that people are going to listen to his show. It makes him seem like a joke, like an irrelevant joke when all these people that he's supposed to, you know, have a relationship enough to get him on a show and stuff like that are just clowning on him and dunking on him constantly. That's not good for you. That's not a good look. No. Um, All right, we got one last question. Trap Games. This is from Kevin. Uh, I have a challenge for you. I'm not a believer in trap games. I believe people want an explanation for certain losses and come up with the idea that a team overlooks a lesser team and then loses to it. I mean, really? Coaches likely drill it into players' heads to not overlook a team. They prep for the trap game opponent. All kinds of warning signs go up, don't they? I say... Uh, they simply didn't have such a great game, and the opponent just outplayed them. Upsets happen. Trap game is just a stab in the dark as to why it happened. Why can't it simply be the underdog just played better? Um, I mean, I think it's a contributing factor to why the underdog played better is the the, the favorite maybe overlooked it a little bit. They had other things on their mind. I mean, did you ever take an exam and you had like, you had like some sociology class that was really easy and like some science classes are around it. And maybe you didn't do as good on the sociology exam because you were studying so much for the other ones. Like, I think that happens in life, not just games, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it is probably, um, 
narrative driven more than it is like actual numbers driven for the most part. I mean, I don't know. I would have to look at it. I mean, I'm sure there's a, a very easy way to test this, um, which is define what you define what everyone means by a trap game. Like, is it a game before a game against a ranked opponent? Like, what are the parameters for it? And then look at how you do vis-a-vis the spread, probably. Um, I'm sure somebody has done it um, yeah. and, and looked at it. Um, so I, I like the instinct, Kevin. I think you're right in on an instinctual level. Distrust those sorts of narratives. I think that's right. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this particular one has any value or a ton of value. I'm sure it doesn't have a ton of value. I'll say that. But it might have some. Like There might be some meaningful difference in how you perform before a big game. I know for many, many years, um, UCLA didn't have the trap game as much as they had the letdown game after USC. If they had a game after USC, it was just significantly harder for them to play particularly well. And they were performing very bad against the spread um, in that game if they had one after USC for a long time. Um, So I I think there can be some element to it. um, But on the broad scale, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's good for a couple of points against the spread, but I don't know. I don't know what it would end up looking like um, if you did a broad analysis. Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, like your mental state in any contest or any challenge. Yeah, it it matters. So if there's, you know, if there's something that you do once a week and you just know it by the like the back of your hand um, and it's really simple for you, you don't necessarily put a lot of prep into doing that. And for the most of the part, you probably perform that task very well. But every once in a while, you don't do it as well. And, you know, was it impacted by, well, I was focusing on these other things and this one, I just know if you go in a game knowing you're going to, you know, this is, a, we beat this team all the time, blah, 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 blah. We got a harder game beforehand. Like the, the USC UCLA game for sure. That's a game UCLA would get up for. I mean, when USC was better, worse, whatever, like UCLA, that was like a big game and they, they performed better than you compare to some other games or, you know, around their schedule. And that's, that's the same team, the same players, but they could step up their game and play better against a certain opponent and maybe drop off a little bit afterwards because they put so much effort into that. So I, I think that's where, if there's any real you know, numbers behind the trap game stuff, I think that's where it is. It's mostly about what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about that game? If you're, are you thinking about Fresno State as, you know, as much as you're thinking about uh, Stanford the next week? Or if you're UCLA, are you, are you caring about your trip to Cincinnati as opposed to, uh, you know, playing Oklahoma at home. Like th- all those things are going to have to come into play, but are they real numbers? I don't know. But I, when you talk about 18 to 22 year olds in their mental state, I think all of that comes into play. You have to get them. You have to make it as important to them. Every game has to be just as important. You say that, but I think it's hard to achieve. Yeah. He said, anyway, here's the challenge. Pick trap games from week to week and keep score. There might not be any in a week. No big deal. Seems like every team has at least one per season. You could even have a three-tier rating system like obvious, likely, and possible. I mean, it's easy to say trap game in hindsight, but how about we have some fun with predicting such? Seems like a lot of work, Kevin. we got to think about a lot of things. I think each week we might be able to pick a game that's like a trap game, but I don't want to look ahead right now because yeah. I'm tired. We're at the hour and 50-minute mark. And uh, this email came out at an inopportune time. If this had been the first question of the sequence of emails, perhaps we would do this thing. That is how capricious life is, Kevin. Sometimes you're just the last email on a long day, and we just can't perform for you. 
Yeah, he sent this like right as we started recording. Yeah, and it's beautiful. We got to trap games. I like your instincts. Just not going to happen, man. Yeah, but if they're, I mean, if you if guys. If you send this, but here's the thing. If you send this again in two hours, that means it'll be the first email that we respond to <laughs> next week, which means, and because we have no memory, I won't remember having said any of this. We'll probably just go ahead and do it then. I think it would probably be, Kevin, like if there's games that everyone's saying are trap games, like definitely email us and go, hey, everyone's talking about blah, blah, blah game is a trap game. What do you guys think? Let's see how they do. And, you know, we could put it in our little doc and say, okay, we thought this was a trap game. Here's how the team's performed or not. But yeah. uh, we won't remember it every week. So, you know, if you want to be our, our trap game reminder, we're, you're, that's your, uh, you have a new post, Kevin. Thank you, Here's, Kevin. We appreciate you being our trap game, game reminder. Yeah. Um, Real quick before we end, we did get an email uh, from Matthew, and he was the one helping us. So we will put something up. We'll email Matthew back. We'll put something up. Um, we have to do our picks, Dave, for the suicide pool. What do you think? Who do you want to pick this week? I haven't done any thought yet. Have you done any thought yet? Not a thing. I'm like looking at who's playing oh, right now. Crap. Okay. So the smart thing would be to pick a team that we don't expect to win many games that could win this that's week. What, that's what I was doing last year. And then you, you had a different strategy, but yeah. I, I just picked the sure things, which and I think in a broader field would have made more sense, but you were doing a different strategy that worked a little bit better. So let's see. Um, okay. So not going to pick... UCLA, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Yeah, that's what I was going to pick. But <laughs> yeah, Colorado. Colorado's the pick. Um, I will go with Colorado as well. Uh, so think about who you guys want as your picks, and we will um, put them in. Actually, you, you can leave. Uh, we'll, we, we'll put it on Twitter too. Uh, let you know, hey, here's our suicide pool picks. But we'll work. Um, with uh, Matthew and get some kind of system put into place by the middle of the week. So everyone can kind of enter there and we'll get all the Pac-12 publishers to try to get in on it as well. So cool. Uh, should be fun. Awesome. Sounds great. Cool. Well, Hey Dave, thanks for taking care of this while I'm in uh, Palm Springs. I think we're going to go out and lay by the pool a little bit. I think that sounds great for you. Excited <laughs> for you. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. I am Ryan Abraham. That is David Woods. You've been listening to the podcast of champions. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.